welcome to Connections Radio Show, where we talk about ideas that matter. I'm glad you've made the connection and are with us today. I'm Lori Fitz, your host, and the goal of our show is to explore a wide range of topics that challenge us to see ourselves, our community, and the world around us in ways that get us thinking, get us talking, get us imagining, get us connected, and perhaps inspired or challenged to do just a bit more because we've made the connection. Our topic today is gaining insights on our border issues. The Biden administration is about to shift how uh, migration is handled at the U.S. border because we do not have meaningful immigration legislation from Congress. And next week, the administration will stop using Title 42. And that was the health law that was imposed during the uh, coronavirus pandemic to control the migration at the U.S.-Mexico border. In its place, the administration will revert to Title 8, the nation's immigration law. Meanwhile, we've got a divided Congress, and it's going to be tough to see legislation that's going to be able to make a difference. And the emphasis on the Title VIII was on law enforcement, meant for more for what was happening at the border 10 years ago. So what do we do? Sometimes uh, issues of the border can create a feeling of helplessness, but there's always something we can do. And today, my co-host Rick Bernardo has invited guests who can share their journey to the border, what they learned, what they took away from their experience, and from their sharing, what each of us can do. So, Rick Bernardo, my co-host. That's me. That's you. you you've Good made morning. this journey as well. I made the journey. It uh, was just mainly, uh, most of the distance was on a plane. I didn't drive that, but when we got to the Tucson area. Uh, we were spending our time mainly along the Arizona-Mexico border. And we had, uh, I can't remember exactly how many, it was over 15 but under 20 of us from Plymouth Congregational Church. And with that experience, yeah. which you've mentioned to me um, on occasion, yeah. and, and I've said, we need to do a show. Uh, you have put two shows together. This is the first of a two-part series. We could do like a whole year worth if we had to. <laughs> <laughs> if you had but, to, yeah, if we have the opportunity to. Yeah. And we will probably do more but, as well. But there's so many places. We spent six days uh, in various places on either side of the border. And... Uh, Again, this is Plymouth Congregational Church. A good friend, Jess, uh, Jess Almeyer, invited me, and I said, that sounds wonderful. So then uh, I got to meet uh, other people like our guests, Nancy Lee and John Humphrey, <laughs> uh, who are both with us this morning, and our cultural broker, who really knows this area both um, theoretically, practically, and ge geographically, uh, Reverend Dr. Del McCormick. So let's, um, uh, Nancy Lee, can you just say hi first and uh, just uh, uh, just say one word about what got you interested <laughs> in this? So this is Nancy. My one word would be um, solidarity. Mm. Yeah. And, and Nancy, a little bit about your background? Well, um, my life is full of traveling, not only to other states, but to other countries. Um, I do that to meet and understand other cultures in their own place, in, in the place that's their home. And so it's essential for me to connect with people 
um, and to recognize our commonality together and our humanity. So that's a little bit about me. Thank you, Nancy. And John? Good morning, John Humphrey. I'm a member of Plymouth Congregational Church in Minneapolis. I'm a member of the Immigrant Welcoming Work Group in that church uh, that supports immigrants locally and at the border and other places. Um, one word about why I wanted to go on this trip. Sorry, I'm not very good at one word. Um, I found a good <laughs> quote that spoke to me um, about not wanting to see people I love die. Um, on the trip that we did three years ago, we met some beautiful families in Mexico who were trying to get into the United States and not having any luck getting across. And one of the families had a daughter who reminded me, I mean, she was almost an identical twin to my granddaughter. And I thought, these these could be my people. This mm -hmm. could be my family mm -hmm. that we're not allowing in. So we what have a, to do something. What a wonderful opportunity to feel the us. So often it's an us and them. But really, how do we build a sense of connection so it's really a big us altogether? Uh, thanks. Uh, Nancy and John, uh, that's Nancy Lee, and that was John Humphrey. And Reverend Dr. Del McCormick is also with us from Tucson, uh, which is a stretch for me, uh, but it was an amazing experience as she truly was uh, a broker of our experience uh, culturally and, and other ways. Um, hi, um, Reverend Del. Uh, good morning. How are good you? Good morning. I'm and, doing well, thank you. Glad yeah. to be here. And you have a more extensive background than any of us in this. So could you say say some? Yeah, you know, we're we're looking forward to like, have you share your what yeah. you do and 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 the experiences that you shared with with the, with the folks that you bring down to the border. Yeah. Okay. Um, I've worked on the border border issues and how to be church in the borderlands with our neighbors to the south, um, with all of our neighbors in a just way that changes our lives as well as changes theirs. Um, I do this work because I was a product of one of these immersion experiences like the members of Plymouth who came down three years ago and then again in February. Uh, and I was fortunate to be able to lead them. Um, and I was a working actor in New York. My husband was a financial um, person who made a lot of money. We lived in a high rise in New York. And I wasn't happy. I wasn't feeling fulfilled. So I do this work because I believe that people like me can change, profoundly change their lives. I wouldn't have believed it when I went on that trip and probably wouldn't have gone on my immersion experience if I knew what it was going to cost me, but also what joy it would bring to me. So um, I went down to central Mexico in 1989. And through hearing the stories of refugees from Central America, the wars there, I came home and was devastated to know how the U.S. was complicit in their suffering, and so therefore how I was complicit in their suffering, and I really kicked into high gear in finding the next right steps that would lead me to the calling that I have today. So I've actually worked on the border, uh, like I've said now, some 30 years, mostly in the capacity with the United Church of Christ, um, in Cuernavaca first, uh, and then in Chiapas. And now in the Tucson area, we're 60 miles from the border. So it gives me an opportunity to work both sides of the border. Um, and I, um, but when I lived in Mexico, I did immersion experiences uh, all the time. People came down, particularly from your area um, in Illinois, uh, Wisconsin, 
who wanted to see Jesus embodied on the border or not. Maybe they weren't people of faith, but they wanted to have that kind of immersion experience. We shifted our focus in education, which is what I now do, um, from what was called the reverse mission uh, experience where people went down and they had this really profound experience, came home and changed their lives, to people coming home and um, seeing how they can take their next right steps and also leave an imprint, a positive imprint in the communities where we go. So what happens on the border when I lead an immersion experience is we always go into communities and have speakers with whom I have longstanding relationships. So it's not a, a subject object kind of relationship, it's a subject subject relationship. I do all of the interpretation um, so because the people feel comfortable with me and while we meet some people who I've not met, always the broker of that experience is someone who knows me well and trusts me um, and th therefore trusts the groups that I bring in. Um, we mix the experience of um, going across the border. In this case, we go across to Nogales, Mexico and to Agua Prieta to see projects of hope there. There's two shelters there that are shining examples of what we can be on this side of the border to accompany people in situations of forced migration. And we actually have um, experiences of talking with guests, some, some who've crossed one, two, three, four, ten times to escape violence, extreme poverty, the effects of climate change. Um, so we feel that, we taste that, we smell that. Um, we see the wall on the U.S. side with five layers of concertina wire and on the other side where people can't even reach across now to touch because there's mesh in the wall. Um, and then we go to Projects of Hope cooperatives uh, on both sides of the border and we hear those stories against incredible odds that have meant life for people on the Mexico side of the border and has helped them not to migrate. Then we come back across and we process that in safe places where people can ask questions. We have speakers on the U.S. side, uh, a whistleblower for the Border Patrol, who Jen Budd, uh, who talked to us, and others who told their very compelling stories. And members of the group also volunteers at Casa Alitas. And Nancy went to the airport with me, and so did John and were um, incredible um, witnesses there with people who've never flown before, who need um, kindness and to be seen with dignity to negotiate the airport experience, which they've never had before and can be terrifying. Um, so that's what we do with the aim of um, uh, raising awareness, but also inspiring action. Everything we do has those concepts in mind um, and like I say this group's come down twice they've had a major impact in the communities some of them they hadn't even witnessed uh, one of which was raising $12,000 to build an extra wing on a shelter in Sonoita uh, which is where people come on the Mexico side of the border and we're living in um, barely livable conditions there sight unseen they raised money um, they didn't go down to build it. They gave the money to people so they could build it themselves. So they'll tell some of those stories. And we'll look yep. forward. We'll look forward to having uh, John. Uh, 
actually, Nancy's going to go up next, right? Nancy Lee will Na- be next. Nancy Lee, but I know John has a story about that that I'm looking forward to having him share. And we do need to go to break, but before we do, I want to make sure folks know if you wanted to learn more about this wonderful program, you can go to casalitas.org, and that's casa, C-A-S-A, and then alitas, A-L-I-T-A-S dot org. So all one word, casaalitas.org and if you'd like to volunteer there's an email address of volunteers at casalitas.org stay with us and we'll hear from the folks that have traveled with uh, Pastor Dell and learn about their experiences and what they brought back from their journey and we'll look forward to having you stay with us we'll be back just after a few short commercials Welcome back to Connections Radio Show. I'm Laurie Fitz. And we like to talk about ideas that matter, and I'm glad you're part of the conversation. We are having a great conversation with good people about gaining insights into our border issues, and it's a critical time in looking at our border issues. Uh, Rick Bernardo, who has made the journey himself, uh, has set up uh, a two-part series on visits to the border. And you had mentioned during break that there were some things that you had flashbacks uh, during uh, Reverend Dell's. Yes, we've got Reverend Dr. Del McCormick with us. And while she was describing her a uh, little bit of how she goes about creating an itinerary and the purpose uh, for inspiring action as well as awareness. Uh, as she was mentioning certain names and towns and organizations, I was flashing back to uh, walking on our, our first day uh, with uh, a church group in the desert where I've never been anywhere near a desert, maybe near, but not in it. And, and all the things out there that were spiky and dangerous and literally and metaphorically and life or death kind of things. Uh, and we were just taking a walk and, and we had guides and um, how moving that was and being at memorial sites and reading a poem at one of the sites of uh, people who just had died there probably in the middle of the night uh, and... Uh, I still get choked up when I think about that. And uh, there's a word we use um, that I heard going way back to uh, working on El Salvador and uh, Guatemala issues of people being disappeared by the government. And this uh, presente, and it's it's uh, it's kind of a way that I understand that we're calling into presence the spirit and uh, of that person who got who disappeared and not of their own choice and and we're standing for them as well it's it's a powerful experience and so we also have uh, nancy lee with us and john humphrey uh, as well as reverend dr del mccormick um and nancy um i know you were with us on that walk and many other experiences Uh, we spent six days this was a group from Plymouth Congregational Church here in Minneapolis. Uh, and uh, Nancy, how are you doing this morning? Uh, things are going okay. Thank you very much. Yeah. So what? Com- know, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, what yeah. comes to mind? What What do you want to share about that? This, you know, we have a we have a, a ways to go, but whatever whatever pops into your head right now about how um, this experience moved you. Well, you know, actually, Rick. Um, 
your mentioning that walk was really something that weighs heavily for me as well. Um, as I was walking along those paths, uh, recognizing, I thought of the significance to my own ancestral history. As an African-American uh, descendant of slaves, I immediately felt a solidarity with those who might have walked through those deserts. Um, my ancestors fled beatings and lynchings and rapes and destruction of property by, by whites and Ku Klux Klan gangs. And, and even much of that was you know, sanctioned by government regulations, um, turning a blind eye. So my ancestors, I was thinking as I was walking, that they would have been traversing through the night away from um, the plantations and places like that with only the clothes on the back, uh, little food and water. And so it was heart-wrenching for me to feel that through the experiences of these people in modern times, we were just repeating the cycle from 200 or more years ago. Um, so that's how I am committed to figuring out a way to help with this border issue, to help people get to safety and to uh, economic life that will support their family. It's, it's really important to me. I got you, Nancy. Thank you. And we were um, joined by Reverend Del McCormick, Reverend Dr. Del McCormick from the Tucson area, who was the cultural broker on this Arizona-Mexico border trip. And um, what I, it's hard for U.S. citizens to get are the systems behind all of this. And uh, Reverend Del McCormick. Um, but could you say a little more about, like, you know, how is it that, I mean, I remember the pastor, Randy Meyer, down there called these killing fields. Um, right. What leads to this sort of, it, it's basically carnage. Uh, what leads to this? Because it's, it is heart-wrenching. Our economy is built on the backs of enslaved people for generations, and um, the fact that some of these people maybe a quarter of the people who set out get across, probably less than that, um, and work for um, subs under substandard conditions and low wages. And even asylum seekers can't get a work pit permit often for a few years and are forced to work under the table for which they can get deported. Um, so it's a system that depends on people coming who have so much to lose if they report um, abuse in the workplace, labor issues. Um, so there's that. There's also the fact of um, our exploitation, having lived in Mexico uh, for eight years, I saw particularly in Chiapas, which is rich in natural resources, the exploitation of those resources uh, at a very high cost to the population there. Um, people being moved off of their areas in order to flood um, their area and build dams for hydroelectric power that 
we used and moved into communities where they were not welcome or next to communities where they were not welcome, having to cut down the rainforest so they had a place to grow their crops um, and eventually not be able to sustain life there because of climate change, because of the exploitation of resources, and they're not being able to share in it. And when the free trade, so-called free trade agreement went into effect, I think that was 1997, we knew and it started to fortify our border that it would run a lot of mom and pop businesses out of business yeah. and that people would begin to come over. So right away, about half a million people a year started migrating to the U.S. because they could not sustain life or were threatened by gangs and violence and persecution. Um, so it's a very complicated situation, but the big central factor is money. Well, uh, thanks, Des. It was Reverend Dr. Del McCormick. And please, please just call me Del. And I'll call you Del informally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. But I just reminding our listeners uh, uh, and, and we which Del this is. At the top of each, we'll make sure that everyone gets their full name. But okay. Reverend Del, thank, uh, Del, thank you so much for um, sharing, uh, untangling some of the complicated challenges and the reality of uh, a quarter of the people getting through yeah. and that's a, a, a tough statistic to look at but i'd also like to encourage the audience um to go and look uh at some uh websites that we have we're going to post them on facebook but i think the one that i'd, I'd really like to have you take a look at is um casalitas.org that's c-a-s-a-a-l-i T-A-S, Casalitas, one word, dot org. And if you would like to volunteer and learn more about the volunteering, you can go to volunteers at casalitas.org. That is an email. And um, ask about what kind of opportunities there are. We'll be back. Can we I just... Can I just? Oh, well, when we come back. Yes. Can we? We'll we'll, we'll we'll leave the audience hanging that you have something important that you want to be okay. sharing. Okay. We'll be right back just after a few short commercials. Thanks so much. radio show where we talk about ideas that matter and our topic today is that we're having wonderful guests share with us insights about the border issues rick bernardo our co-host has uh, set up a two-week series this week and next exploring journeys to the border and i will let you introduce our guests and um and and have them share their stories. Well, I am still having flashbacks too, uh, but we we also have been joined by Nancy Lee, John Humphrey. Uh, we're going to hear more from John here in a moment, and the Reverend Dr. Del McCormick from the Tucson area. But I, one of my other flashbacks uh, that I have to release here is being uh, walking along the Mexico side of the border wall. Uh, not the whole thing, but just enough to really get the the dividing point and how how darn cold it is in so many ways. I remember a lot of us put our hand up on on the wall and you just almost like it went through your soul. And then there was this razor wire on the other side that I had to study and it was incredibly uh, brutal looking. And it wasn't even in action and sometimes you'd see a part of a, a piece of torn clothing hanging from some of the wire. And so there's that. 
Nancy was talking about the systems that create this and her background in this. And Nancy Lee, thank you again for sharing. I know you've also worked a lot with different sort of systems and how they contribute to racism, brutality, even domestic terrorism in a lot of ways, which a lot of this is. And then Reverend Del McCormick. Del, uh, you had something you wanted to, to uh, share with us, right, as we went to the end of the last segment. So good morning. Yeah, good morning. I'll put it in the chat so it can go out to listeners. Okay. Um, if people want to take a trip without actually taking the trip, um, there's a series by CNN about the Darien Gap, D-A-R-I-E-N. And that is the 65 miles between um, Colombia and Panama. No roads, mountains, forests, rivers, no rule of law. And half of the people who enter it never come out of it. Uh, one guest told us that he had seen 35 bodies in his journey through that. So I think it's really important to know what people risk to come legally to the United States seeking asylum um, from Ecuador, Peru, uh, Colombia, Venezuela. They have to go through that gap. And the harrowing stories that people told us on this trip. Um, and there's a, also a book called Solito uh, yeah. that, that, that is a true story, and that author is coming to Minneapolis soon. I know he's coming in the month of May, so people can look that up, Solito. It's on my calendar. Alone. Yeah, it's May 23rd, okay. Del. Yeah. Great, great. And, and the okay. Central Library in Minneapolis, by the way. Yeah. Well, thanks, Del. And then, and then also, we haven't heard... Too much more from John Humphrey, who is also from Plymouth Congregational Church, uh, who really organized and sponsored our trip down there along with Dell. Um, and John, good morning. And I know you've had more than one trip down there uh, as well. Well, I, I think even more than two or nope, just, just two? Just, just the two. two. All right. Because you've got, you've got different layers of it. <laughs> so what, what, com what, what comes to mind when Dell and Nancy and I are talking about this? Uh, you shared a little bit already, but uh, what do you remember? Oh, many, many things. Um, but I'd like to talk about one of them right now, and that would be um, on the last day of the first trip we did in 2020, Dell asked us to think about what would be the next right thing for us to do. And so we thought about that and did some brainstorming, came up with ideas, got back to Minneapolis at the end of February 2020. At the beginning of March, the pandemic hit. And so all our wonderful ideas kind of got put on hold for a while. But about a year later, we were talking with Dell on the phone and said, is there anything we can do? We're, fe we're so frustrated. We're feeling like we just want to do something, need to do something. And she said, well, there's a shelter, a partially built shelter in a little town on the border called Sonoita, and they really need some help. And so at Plymouth, so we talked to them, and at Plymouth we organized a fundraiser, and like Del said, raised $12,000 to help them buy the materials to complete the shelter. We offered to go down, in our white supremacy ignorance, offered to go down and build it for them, and they said, no, thank you. We really want to build it ourselves. We, we have the people here who can do it, have the expertise. We just need the materials. So we did our fundraiser, <clears throat> bought the materials, uh, worked with a group called, the at that time, the Ajo Samaritans, another Samaritan group, um, and um, got the materials to them and they built their shelter. They sent us pictures, but that really didn't kind of you know do everything for us. It, it, 
we didn't really feel connected to it. So at the end of this trip, the 2023 trip, I actually went down with Dell's help and other people's help and got down to Sonoita and spent a couple of days down there. Um, living conditions are still fairly primitive. Dell mentioned they were a lot more primitive before we got the shelter built. Many people were living in ravines outside of town. People were living in condemned houses. Um, in this shelter, which at that time consisted of a dirt floor and two walls, no ceiling, no roof, um, and there were about 100 people living in that, <laughs> just that space. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a really and wonderful it's thing. It's cold there, yeah. Yep. Thanks. Um, so conditions were very primitive, and, and so they're much, much better. People are happier, obviously happier there now. Some of the people um, that I met there in 2023 were stu- were there in 2020, actually helped with the construction of it, very proud of what they were able to do for themselves. And again, as I believe Dell mentioned, some of these people um, were have risked their lives to try to get to the United States. Um, if you try to cross twice um, and are unsuccessful, your third attempt is a felony on your U.S. record, and and uh, you know so basically there are groups of people who are essentially stuck at the border. They can't go home because their lives are at risk, and they can't cross into the United States. So what do they do? Um, so we mentioned a cafe justo in in Agua Prieta. Um, some groups formed companies and actually did some positive things. Other people are just essentially trapped. And in Sonoita, which is a cartel town, it's a very much a situation of being trapped. So um, this is a, a great thing that we were able to help them accomplish um, so that they can get on with their lives to the extent that they're able to, even though it's incredibly difficult i have a question for you sure as you were sharing about wanting to help by help going down and build uh, and realize that they felt perfectly capable of of building their own strikes me as some of the assumptions that we make about how we want to help um and i hear more and more from your stories it's about listening and tell me about other assumptions that you may have made going down that uh, through your cultural broker allowed you to have a new awareness. Okay. Um, Oh boy. (laughs) Sorry. It's a a very complex situation. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't understand um, the role, ongoing role of cartels in Mexico. Mm -hmm. And again, partially from, um, some of Dell's talks to our groups, both the 2020 group and the 2023 group, 2023 group um, and talking with Jen Budd, got a, a clearer, sharper picture of just how life-threatening, terrifying, terrifying yeah. it is for these people. Um, there was a woman who I interviewed in the Sonoita shelter who essentially said it took her about half an hour to even get to the point where she would say, "Allow me to use her name." Um, she didn't want to be called by name. She was very protective of herself and her identity at this, still at this point. Um, we were not allowed to take pictures of people's faces when we were there. So it's still a very difficult, dangerous situation. Um, I'm sorry, I'm trying no, to no, get no, back no, to no, your... No, 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 you're, yeah. you're fine. Uh, okay. It strikes... Uh, 
Yeah. Uh, I'll just do one quick and then I'll, I'll get okay. back to you. Okay. Uh, so Del, that, that strikes me about what you said early on in the first segment about how uh, you only introduce people to folks that have trust in you. Um, right. Do you want to um, have a, a comment on that? Um, we work really hard, like I was saying, not to have it be an object-subject relationship where we, or it's called theological tourism, where people come down and see those poor people and go home and, you know, give money or whatever, but they aren't really profoundly changed by the experience on both sides. Um, can you hear me? So a little bit louder there. Okay, got I got my volume up. Um, Thanks. But one thing I will say is... Um, what I say to the group always in the beginning is this will be uncomfortable because a just relationship between people with power and people who are powerless is to listen, 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 mm-hmm. and not tell them our stories or not tell them that we've been to that place on vacation or, or whatever. And it's hard. It's hard for That's people it. who are used to talking and resolving problems to listen. But this group was very good at it both times. And that way people... It helps them to heal when they tell their stories. Right. Um, you know, yeah. And Dal, you know, and I know Nancy Lee has probably experienced this a lot as well, but um, <clears throat> just in public health work in the U.S., I can't count how many organizations and uh, Historic black churches, for instance, will just say they feel preyed upon as, you know, somebody comes comes and does a study and then leaves and things are never changed. And there's nothing, there's something inauthentic about that. It's like, it's like not keeping it real. It's just like, it's like another version of unconsciously using people. That's how they're left is what I got. And that's just here locally a lot of times. Uh, it's, I, a, it's a model of consumption. Yeah, 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 and it's all like you know, it's a. I, I see it as a huge blind spot that we don't even know that we're walking around with a blind spot because we're blind to it, and that's a very important thing to start waking up about. the The quote I remember hearing a number of times when I was down there was a quotation. I don't know how you say Warson Shire. Um, I don't know if I'm saying the name right, but no one leaves home unless home is the mouth of a shark. I get teared up when I when that comes back to me because that's it is that brutal and we're putting people in those situations so many of them. This is Nancy. Um, Reverend Dell reminds me of when I was volunteering at the airport under uh, under her tutelage, and I was helping families. Um, as they prepared to go through TSA, which was really um, just a messed up system, and then at the gate, and how much um, those persons who now had their paperwork and was going to make this most important step of their journey to get to their, I'll call sponsor, I believe, someone who... um, the U.S. government believes will make sure that um, they are taken care of. But standing there with them, holding their paperwork like like a million dollars, I was so scared, you know, because they're having me hold it because I'm trying to explain to the agent how we need to make a change in seats so a seven-year-old can sit with their mother and the agent has to ask, 
another passenger who has a regular um, airline ticket, if they would be willing to make the change. And what um, Reverend Dell told me, she says, Nancy, because these are same day tickets, they're actually, we're actually paying more. We are actually the ones that are paying for a ticket that's worth a thousand dollars as opposed to the two ninety nine ticket that somebody waited to buy online. Yeah. But just the importance of this moment of travel really hit me. I and remember the trust that those people had in me to try to help them. Yeah. I just want to be clear, though, that they buy their own tickets or their families buy their tickets, and they are the highest price tickets. Same day, one way. You can imagine family of four. Um, a lot of people, I think, in the airport, we've had to educate staff there. to Like, the government isn't paying for this. We're not right. paying for it. They're paying for it. What, what I love about this is, you know, the very specific ways that volunteers can help. And... Um, with that, I, I, I'm sorry we have to close this up. There's so many good things going on. But we, we do have one more segment. And in that last segment, we'd love to have everyone share what are some things that we can each do to help make a difference. And to begin with, I want to make sure that our audience knows is that you can go to the website Casa Alitas. And that's Casa Alitas. So it's C-A-S-A-A-L-I. TAS.org. Uh, if you'd like to volunteer, you can email uh, your questions to volunteers at casalitas.org. We'll be right back and we'll um, we'll have we have so much more to talk about, and I'm so glad we have next week as well. Uh, so stay with us after a few short commercials and and learn how you too can make a difference. Welcome back to Connections Radio Show. Thank you for being with us today. We've had just such heartfelt conversation and um, understanding of a, a journey to the border and, and what that has meant to our guests today. I'm Lori Fitz, uh, and my co-host, uh, Rick Bernardo, has, um, been, has done his journey also to the border and has brought folks today and next week to share about their experience. Yes. So good morning. And we've been talking about the uh, the wonderful, the angels and the saints down along the border working to help with torturous, literally torturous situations, uh, uh, leaving people uh, often in terror. We've been talking to Nancy Lee and John Humphrey and Reverend Dr. Del McCormick. Uh, and uh, uh, Nancy, you know, you've got experience. What's within one minute? Uh, do you have uh, one idea of uh, a course of action that maybe you're going to take or people can take? Uh, during the, right after I came back, you know, I've been keeping um, my awareness on any legal or laws that are being uh, suggested by Congress making uh, comments on those, letting friends know. So just yeah. keeping an awareness and making my uh, opinion known to uh, Congress. Well, I acknowledge, I acknowledge you for that. And, and uh, John, how, how about um, a, a suggested course of action or something that comes to mind about being in action? Okay. Um, I have a wonderful quote to share, very brief. If you have come here to help me, you are wasting your time. But if you have come because your liberation is bound up with mine, then let us work together. 
Um, one local agency that people could think about working with is called Conversations with Friends. That's one that I've connected with since being involved in this, and I would recommend them very highly. Conversations with Friends. You can write to people who are currently being detained. You can go to court hearings for people who are currently being detained. So it's a very good way to help. I love both those suggestions. Nancy, let's get out there and make sure that folks know and, and vote for folks that, that are going to make a difference. And personally, you can take action by being involved with, give us that name one more time. Right. Conversations with Friends. Sounds and I'll make sure that you have the URL for them next week. And Reverend uh, Del McCormick, um, Del, I, I think you said this out loud when we were together uh, uh, along the border, there's a quote from a, a Chiapas, Mexico uh, elder, indigenous elder, that you have to lower the word to your heart where it rests for a while before it can come back through your hands, heart, feet, and voice. Uh, that still moves me. A lot of things move me. And uh, what else can people do to uh, be a part of a solution and not part of the problem? We don't hope in these kind of immersion experience that everyone's going to go home and work on immigration issues. But I would say what you can do from where you are is get educated. Look at the CNN series on the Darien Gap. Know what people what people pay for, how much it costs, many, twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000, even for what I call people made poor, not made poor by God, but made poor by people. Um, what they go through to get to our country so that we can understand better our border policies. Look at how racism plays into our immigration policies, classism, etc. Um, and we know that some people will go home and their next right step won't be around immigration. It will be about using their God-given potential where they are uh, whenever they can. We're called to be Jesus or be Muhammad, all right, or be Buddha, or be our grandmother who was wonderful in the ways that we can right here and now. So that might be the first right step is to look around in the grocery store, look around at how you can share kindness and joy and how you can learn from our neighbors by listening. Thank you, Del. Uh, You're welcome. I, I believe all of us can take something um, from our, our own journeys. Uh, we may not have the opportunity to go to the border, but if we do, um, we may take along a better awareness before we get there as to what ways we can be with people and listen and be part of their journey in a way that builds. Um, so thank you. Thank you for your time. Uh, thank you, Nancy. Uh, thank you, John, for sharing your your experience. And Rick, would you like to close well, it out with... Your thoughts. Yeah, just to acknowledge that what transformed and continues to transform for me is the two sides of the same fabric whereby people facing situations of forced migration, I swear those people had more dignity even in their fear and terror, than mm. most people, I just sort of came out of them. Uh, more, uh, it, it's God-given dignity, but I could see it. Uh, and grace and generosity and I became better for that and I think we all become better for that experience and I hear that and see that in all of you so thanks for being with us and to Thank echo you. Nancy's comment um, we can make a difference if nothing else just to talk about it uh, let, let our legislators know we want a, a good policy and it's time to work on it and it's time to, to make it real so thank you uh, and stay with us next week where we'll continue our conversation on Journeys to the Border.
much. Thank you. It's 6.42 p.m. Time for Steve Plato and his son Dylan to do the dishes. They talk about everything from the yuckiness of girls to the awesomeness of his soccer team. Sometimes they don't talk at all. Then, hey! the dreaded <laughs> splash fight. It's dad o'clock, and it's the best time of the day. Because the smallest moments can have the biggest impact on a child's life. Take time to be a dad today. Call 877-4DAD-411 or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Up your game both personally and professionally. The Dare to Be Great event is on May 20th at the Parkview Event Center at the Mall of America. It features two nationally known speakers, Jack Canfield, founder of the Chicken Soup for the Soul series, and Michael Vukalik, author of The Mind, The Muscle, The Miracle. General admission tickets are $197 and VIP tickets are $297 and include lots of fun bonuses. Don't miss this amazing opportunity to learn from two gifted speakers and move your life from good to great. Get your tickets and details at OutrageousSuccess.com. That's OutrageousSuccess.com. It's Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blog.